Amen. Thank you, team. Do me a favor and track down a Bible if you can and get with me to Genesis chapter 12. We're doing a series right now called the Jesus Storybook Bible, and uh, we're going through um, this children's Bible right here, and you can grab one of these at the table out there for five bucks a piece, and so we're letting this kind of frame out our discussion, but over the course of 11 weeks, starting last week, we're going to make our way through the entire Bible, and uh, we're going to be doing that together, and we're going to be paying attention to how every story within the Bible really points to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and that's the subtitle of the book, how every story whispers his name, and so... um, We're going to look at uh, Genesis chapter 12 this morning. It's the call of Abraham, and in the storybook Bible, he doesn't get a ton of airtime. You'll you'll notice as you're reading it, there's a story about the son of laughter, and you get a little bit of an introduction to him, but he's such a significant character in the whole of um, the the biblical storyline that I thought it'd be good for us to camp out this morning and, and look at his calling. So let's uh, read the, the text, and then we'll pray, and we'll get after it. This is Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. This is on page 9 in the Bibles that we have here. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, by the way, he gets a new name later on. I will probably say it differently throughout the entire sermon. Uh, but, but the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Marah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Let's pray. Lord, right now, we want to hear your voice. Lord, as we as a church family have committed to going through your your word together, Lord, we want to know what you want us to know. We want to hear from you. We want this experience this morning to be an experience of the Holy Spirit that would change us. We don't just want to listen to the voice of some dude. We want to hear the voice of the risen Savior. And we we want to stagger out of here grateful for having gathered together and having opened up the word and opened up our hearts and and having experienced you. So help us to do that, please, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, Paul House, an Old Testament professor, he puts it like this. When he's looking at the Bible, he says, well, there's Genesis 12, and then there's everything else. In other words, what happens here is so significant because it really helps us to recognize what God is doing And then we kind of fill in all the blanks from there on out. But we find out that God is choosing an individual for the sake of the world. He's choosing a man for the sake of the many. And he's making then a people and he's establishing a people that he's going to use as a vehicle of his blessing to the very ends of the earth. 
And so it's a very awesome and important section of scripture. We're going to look at it under these three headings, the promise of God, the pilgrimage of Abram, and then the purpose for, uh, of God's plan. So the promise of God, it comes very early on. It's those first few verses there. It's the promise that God is declaring over this individual. And I want to take you into the context real quick. Uh, if you're reading through the storybook Bible, you'll bump into this, the story of the Tower of Babel. And so if you just kind of glance back over into chapter 11, we have, you know, 72 nations. That basically, hum humanity is being represented. There's all these different people, and there's all these different people that are accounted for. And then we move to chapter 12, and it's one guy. But as you're looking at chapter 11, there's this experience where humanity is saying, let's build a monument to our human ingenuity. Let's do something so profound that everyone would recognize us. In fact, they're saying things like this. They're saying, let's build a tower up to heaven so that we can declare how great we are. Let's do something so profound that everyone would understand our greatness. They say things like, let's make a name for ourselves. Uh, I mean, these are inclinations of the human heart. This is just kind of normal, natural stuff. I mean, I walk around going, I hope I can make a name for myself. Right? Wouldn't it be awesome if you, if, if somebody, you know, you're talking to them and they go, you know, Corey Williams, right? You, 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 you're in his, that's the kind of thing that we all do. We want to make a name for ourselves. They're also saying they want to create a place where, you know, they're saying, let's build this so we don't have to be scattered. Let's build this. And kind of, it has that shade of, let's build a place where we can be secure and established and have protection and provision and all those sorts of things but they're doing it all in their own strength without any reference to God. And that's the problem. It's highlighting this tendency in us that we've defined as human sinfulness. It's highlighting this thing in us where we say, we don't really care about God. We're going to do it our own way. We're going to make ourselves great. We're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to provide for ourselves. And God steps into that and he says, no, that is the problem that, I, that I'm seeking to address. That's the issue. And so then we come to this promise that God gives to Abraham, and it's a very incredible promise, and it's something that God says, I will do this. I'm going to take initiative. You, you might think you need to do this on your own, but God is saying, I will accomplish what I seek to accomplish. Look at the beginning of verse 2. It says, I will make you into a great nation, Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. Other people might be striving to, to create a great nation, but I'm going to make you into a great nation. But it's God saying, I'm going to do it. Look at verse 2 at the end there. He says, I will make your name great. I, I will take initiative and I will do something for you so that people will say the name Abraham and they will recognize that this is an individual who's been favored by God. I will make your name great. God is declaring what he's intending to do. Look at verse 3. He says, I will bless you. I will bless all who bless you and curse all who curse you. But God is saying, I'm going to do it. Now, isn't that an incredible thing? And it is a promise of blessing five times in two verses. That word blessed or blessing, or it shows up. That God is going to bless this individual. He's got a promise and he's telling him, I'm going to accomplish this and you get to receive it. So that's kind of the way that it works. You can either go the route of hum human independence and say, I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to define my own life. I'm going to be the captain of my own soul. I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm going to show the world how great I am. Or you can do like Abraham and receive freely what God wants to do through you. I'm just going to say it. That's a much better deal. 
right? But that's the invitation of the gospel that God says, you can try to do this on your own or you can receive from me all that you need. Which do you choose? And unfortunately, a lot of us choose to do it our own way because we want our fingerprints on it and we want to show how, how significant we really are. But God is saying here, right at the front end of the Bible, here's the, here's the way that faith operates. Faith is something that God takes initiative and we receive. So he had to receive it. He had to obey. Look at verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. He's telling him, I'm going to do all these different things, but I'm giving you a command on the front end. You don't just get to sit on your sofa and be the recipient of all these different things. You will receive them freely. They are a promise of, of God's gracious gifting to him, but he still has to obey. And he's telling him, you need to leave. You need to go from everything that's familiar to you, everything that's safe to you, and you need to take this step of faith, leaving your people, your household, and, and your land, and going to this place that I will later show you. Now, he's commanding him something, and it reminds me of what Scott Hafeman said, and, and I think this is really important. The commands of God are actually a good thing. A lot of people will look at the commands of God and say, man, that sounds so restrictive. It sounds burdensome. It sounds like he's just this cosmic killjoy. God is telling us all these things that we should or shouldn't do. But Scott Hafeman, he puts it like this. He says, listen, all the commands of God are really promises in disguise. That when God tells you to do something, it's not because he's mean or, you know, he doesn't want you to have fun. It's because he knows what's best for you. And when he tells you to do something, it's because he knows how to accomplish the very best things for your life. The commands of God are, are promises in disguise. When God says, I want you to go, it's not a bad deal for Abraham to say, okay, I'll leave all this stuff. I'll leave this stuff behind. I'll go to where you're going to show me. I don't know what that's going to look like. That's not a bad deal because when God says go and when he obeys, it's really him positioning himself to receive that gracious promise. So um, what is it? He, he receives this, this promise and, and it's a promise to have this new identity that God is establishing a people. And here's one of the features of it. He's, he's creating a people through this one man for the sake of the nations. Look at verse three. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He's saying, I'm, I'm choosing you out of all the people. I'm choosing you. And here's why. Because I'm going to set my favor on you, my affection on you, my blessing on you, not just so you can receive it, but here's why. So that everyone might have an opportunity to experience the favor of God. I'm going to bless you to bless other people. I'm going to bless you so that you could be used for mission. It's a really beautiful thing. In fact, the Apostle Paul, later in the Bible, he'll pick this up and he'll say, he'll say what God said there in that moment that was no small thing. That was actually the good news of the gospel. In Galatians 3.8, it goes like this. He says, God announced the gospel in advance to Abraham when he said, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. So right there on the front end of the Bible, God is declaring his promise. And it is a promise to bring about salvation to the very ends of of the earth. It's an incredible reality. So we then, we have this right from the very beginning, who are the people of God? We are the missionary people of God. We have a calling to receive the goodness and the favor and the blessings for the sake of other people. 
We're not, we're, we're not just concerned about our individual salvation, but we've received something. So we as individuals need to go out and make it known. We need to make it known. The promise of God comes in the first three verses, and then we have the pilgrimage of Abraham, and we see that in verses four to nine. He's on this journey. He's on a journey, both literally, but I would also say spiritually. It's the pilgrimage of Abraham. He goes out, he listens to the Lord, he obeys by faith, he takes that step, he takes that initiative, and he travels from his hometown down to Canaan and on from there. Verses four and five. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So he hears the voice of God, and he steps out in faith. He hears the voice of God, and he leaves with his stuff, with his people, with his wife, with his nephew, with all of his possessions, and he begins to go not knowing where God is going to take him. And the Bible will commend that as an act of faith. I'll show that to you in just a moment. But it reminded me of um, when I was about 20 years old, Jared, my, my best friend, and myself, we said, let's start an action sports ministry. Let's start a, a team of people who wakeboard and use that as a way to share the, the Christian message. We'll use Christian athletes and we'll, we'll allow for their ability to ride to create a platform for sharing something far more significant. And we began to think about that and we said, okay, well, if we're going to develop a team, we have to have a team. And so we started to think through, well, where are we going to find really talented riders? And we said, okay, well, Orlando is the hub. It's the wakeboard hub. It's the Mecca. It's where all the pros live and all the people travel to, to train and do these different things. And so we, we said, okay, well, let's go down there. Let's move down there. And uh, we'll, we'll live there for a while. We'll get better as riders, but we'll also find a team of people to do this with us. Now, I will leave it to you to assess whether or not this was a step of faith or just youthful ignorance. But here's what we did. We loaded our cars. We had a few different connections of people who knew people down there, but we didn't have a plan. And we loaded up our cars and we probably just had a few hundred bucks a piece. So we didn't have the ability to just go there and extend our stay because of our finances or anything like that. We just said, we're going to go and see what happens. And so we drive down and, um, and sure enough, God opened a bunch of doors and we met with a pastor and he let us stay with him for a week. And then he met some people in his church and they opened their, their, their uh, guest room to us. And uh, we, we lived down there for, for six months. But see, here's what, here's what I'm recognizing. In that moment, I, I was, I think probably it was a mixture, youthful ignorance and stepping out in faith. And, and we went and God proved himself faithful. But I was 20 years old and I didn't have anything. Look at Abram. He's 75 years old. He's a mature individual. They lived longer back then, but nonetheless, he's still 75 years old. And he has a wife, and he has responsibilities, and he has all of these different possessions. And God says, I want you to leave all that's familiar. I want you to leave home base, and I want you to go, and I'm not going to tell you where. And he had to take that step of faith. Here's what I'm suggesting. It was a big step of faith for him. But, but when you hear the promise of God, part of the pilgrimage is that you are willing to obey by faith. Some of you this morning, God is speaking over you and he's telling you what he intends to do. He's telling you the beauty of his promised plan, but he's also calling us to obey. 
He's also calling us to take a step of faith. And this story this morning, I hope, inspires you to recognize, if I do that, I'm going to be okay. If I believe God and I move out in faith, even if I don't have all the details figured out, if God is telling, if he's calling me to this, and I do this, it's going to be okay. Well, later in the Bible, he's commended for this faith. In Hebrews 11, it goes like this. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his, as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. The Bible looks at that and it says, this is praiseworthy, what he did there. He heard the voice of God and he immediately, or quickly, I should say, responded with faith and obedience. Now, the story keeps going and it tells us that he set out and he packed up and he set out. And then it tells us even within the verses that we're looking at that he kind of moves around a little bit. That he goes from one place, but the Canaanites are there. He goes to another location. We find him kind of moving around. And, and, and I guess I'm, I'm intrigued. How does the story unfold? If God is going to bless him and, and make him into a great nation and what, you know, how does all of that happen? And, and as the story progresses, we find out that God is working not only to bring about the promises, but he's working on Abraham, that he's a work in progress. Let me read to you from, um, this is called The Biggest Story. It's actually my favorite children's Bible. So if you're looking for multiple children's Bibles, I don't know, maybe you've got kids, but this is an excellent uh, children's Bible. And this is what it says about this event. I'm just going to read this one page to you. It says, you might think that God wanted to bless Abraham because he was such a swell guy. But Abraham didn't know God at all when God called him. And even after he got the call and all these promises, Abraham could still be a liar and a bit of a scaredy cat. Abraham's life had a lot of ups and downs, but he had two things going for him. The only two things, it turns out, that really matter. God's promise to bless him and Abraham's belief in God's promise. That's all Abraham had, which was a good deal because it was all he needed. When you look at the story of Abraham, you might be tempted to think he must be made of something different than me. He must be this, you know, exceptional individual who God looked at him and he said, this guy's going to be so awesome. I got to get him on my team. But when you actually see the pilgrimage of Abraham unfold, you begin to recognize, no, he's just like the rest of us. He's a mixed bag. There are moments where he's courageous and faithful and he does something admirable and the Bible looks at that and praises it. But there are also moments where he fails miserably, repeatedly. Let me just share with you a few. So after being told to go to Canaan, he gets there and, and God is telling him, I'm with you, bro. I'm with you. I've got your back. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to do all these different things. You have my promise. And he gets there and he finds out there's a famine which means there's not a lot of food. So he takes matters into his own hands and he says, well, this is where God told us to go, but I'm going to go to Egypt and get food there. He forgets about God's promise to provide for him. When he gets there, he forgets the promise of protection. And so what does he do? He looks at his wife and he says, you are very beautiful. And I'm afraid that if we go into Egypt and people see you and they know that you're my wife, they'll kill me and take you. So let's do this. Let's lie. Let's tell them that you are my sister. Again, he's forgetting that God has given him this promise, that God is going to look after him, blessing those who bless him, cursing those who curse him. But all of that is out the window in that moment, and he lies about his relationship with his wife. He, um, he also forgets that, th that God is promising to make him into a nation, that God is saying, I will make you into a great nation. I will give you, uh, we'll see this in a few minutes, but I will give you seed. I will give you an offspring. I'll give you an heir. 
And so when he's getting older, I mean, at the start of the story, he's 75 and he's getting older and his wife isn't much younger. And he begins to think, how on earth is this ever going to happen? So again, he takes matters into his own hands and he sleeps with his wife's maidservant, Hagar, and has a child through her. She conceives and bears a, a child and it creates conflict. And instead of stepping in and taking responsibility, he resigns himself as Hagar and the child are being mistreated again. Abraham over and over again is not living up to the calling that God has for him. Finally, he repeats the lie a second time that Sarai is his sister when they go into another location. So if you're looking at the journey of Abraham, here's what I want to suggest to you. It is a literal journey that he's making, but it's also a spiritual journey that God is working with him and he is a work in progress. Here's why this is very good news for us. If you had to get your life in order to be acceptable to God, none of us could do it. If we had to get it all pieced together, and maybe that's where we're at, because that's kind of how our hearts work sometimes. We say, I better become a really good Christian. I'm here this morning at church because I'm trying to be a good enough Christian that God would look at me and smile. I better read my Bible more. I better, you know, serve more. I better do all these different things. If, if we have to get our life put together and, and just kind of, you know, packaged up, if we have to get it all put together and it's on us, we're in trouble. But here's the MO of God. He chooses the unlikely and he works with them. He chooses the unlikely and he works with them. He chooses people who are a work in progress and he graciously molds them into his image. Abraham doesn't show up on day one with this incredible faith, but throughout this journey, throughout this process, God is helping him, helping him to be the vehicle of his blessing to the ends of the earth. Okay, so how does the story, how does this story whisper the name of Jesus? I think there's a couple different ways that it happens. But for sure, one of the ways that it whispers the, the name of Jesus is that it, it's telling us God is, is on the move here, and one day there's going to be a child through the line of Abraham who will, you know, become this great nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. So if you're reading the Bible and you go, okay, who are, who, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, who are these people? This is where they start. God is establishing a people that now throughout the rest of the Bible, they are this vehicle of blessing. And here's what they're, they're called to do. Receive the blessing of God and share that with other people. They're meant to be the vehicle of God's blessing. So there's this promise that's built into this whole thing. Abraham, you're going to be a great nation. Here's, here's how it's specifically going to happen. You're going to have a kid. Look at verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. To your offspring I will give this land. Problem, God. Here's the problem. I'm old and I don't have any kids. How is this promise ever going to come true? Uh, Abraham's beyond that age of bearing children, and, and he doesn't have a child. So how is it that he's going to be this father of a great nation? And the answer is God is going to do it, but he's going to do it by giving him a child. Now, if you were to keep reading the story, it doesn't happen immediately. In fact, something like 20, 25 years go, goes by before he has that promise come true. But in Genesis chapter 15, there's a little dialogue. I think this is very important. There's a little dialogue that happens between God and Abraham. And, and um, God says to Abraham, your inheritance is not going to go to some other person. You're going to have a child from your own flesh and blood. This is Genesis 15, 4. A son, you're going to have a son 
who is your own flesh and blood, and that person will be your heir. And then here's what the Bible says, and it's one of those moments. You have to pay attention to the moments because a lot of the Bible is a story. But when the narrator steps aside and says, here's what this means, you, you better pay attention. If the narrator says, I'm telling you a story, there are all these different details, but you need to get this. Here's what this means. God says, you will have a son from your own flesh and blood. That son will be your heir. And, and then the, the narrator steps aside and it says, Abram believed God and that was credited to him as righteousness. He believed the promise of a son and that was credited to him as righteousness. What does that mean? Well, that's whispering the name of Jesus. How does anyone deal with the sin problem that we have? We place our faith in the promise that God is going to do something that will remove that sin. Well, how does that ever happen? It happens because God has declared, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a, an offspring. There's, a, there's this promise that's going to go through this people that there's going to be one who comes one day who's ultimately going to do away with, with sin. It's the good news of the gospel. Galatians 3 talks about it as saying these, this moment here in Genesis chapter 12 is declaring the good news of the gospel that God is saying all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. If you read Galatians 3, here's what it's saying. God was declaring that salvation was going to come by faith through Jesus Christ even when he first made that announcement. The way that we are saved is by placing our faith in Christ for salvation. We're forgiven of our sins. We're adopted into the family. We're, 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 the sinfulness that we struggle with, God deals with it at the cross and he helps us to become more and more like his son. This story and every story in the Bible is whispering the name of salvation, Jesus Christ, our savior. So, so the, the pilgrimage helps us to see there's something that's going to unfold here and it's going to result in God sending his one and only son so that we might believe in him and have that credited to us as righteousness, believing in him and being declared, you are right. You are forgiven. So what's the purpose of this promise plan? Why does God do this? Why does he, you know, draw this thing out? What, what is he doing here? And, and I think it's um, hinted at in our text. I'll say it very simply. The, the purpose for God's plan, the unfolding of his salvation throughout history, the, the, the development of the Bible storyline, what is the purpose behind all of it? It's for the sake of mission and worship. He, he declares his promise to Abraham so that Abraham and his people could be on mission with him and for the sake of worship. It, in our story, if you look at verses 6 and 7, um, Abraham lands there. He's in Canaan. The Canaanites are there. They have other gods. But all of a sudden, we find him building an altar and worshiping. Abraham is building an altar and he begins to worship. And it's kind of a picture that wherever the people of God go, there should be these expressions of worship that will have implications for anybody that we come in contact with. We're on mission because of our identity. And we go places and we worship God. And we want not only for us to be able to worship freely, but we also want other people to come into that experience as well. John Piper, in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, he says, missions exist because worship doesn't. We're on mission because other people haven't heard the name of Jesus yet and they're not worshiping him yet. So worship isn't the be all end all thing. It's a means to that end. We want people to know our savior. 
And so we have this fundamental identity of missionaries. So around here, you know, at our church and especially at this campus, we talk a lot about this. You are called, your fundamental identity as a believer is you are called to display the glory of God anywhere that you go. So if you want church to be this nice little neat thing that happens on Sunday morning and you can get that done and then go back to life, this isn't for you. But if you recognize that what we do here is meant to propel you out into the world, so tomorrow morning you're tying your shoes and you're thinking and praying, where is God sending me today? And as you're clocking in, you're saying, I'm clocking into my mission field. This is where God has me. This is the sphere of influence where I can be wielded for his glory. The purpose for God's plan is not just so I can sit back and receive blessing, but he has blessed me to be a blessing for other people so that people would know him and ultimately come to worship him. We want that for you. We, we, I pray for that for you, that you would experience God in such a profound way that everything that you do would be marked by the mission of God, that you would be a blessing, that you would be blessed so that you might bless other people. And I believe that's what this promise is about. God has made a way for people to know him. He's made a way for people to experience forgiveness from sin. It's in the person and work of Jesus Christ. When you receive that by faith, you are co-opted into the mission of God. And so I'm going to pray now and invite the band to come and we're going to worship again. But let's bow our heads now and let's ask for God's blessing on this calling. God, we really believe that Abraham received a unique call but it's also a typical call. That here in this moment, in this auditorium right now, that you are issuing afresh a call to follow you, to believe in you. And I pray that everyone in here would place their faith in Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness and be credited righteousness because of what he did for us. And I pray that everyone in here, having received that blessing, would now begin to think about how their lives need to be aligned to that reality. That we would think about how you can use us to, to help other people know you and worship you. God, I pray that you would anoint us with your spirit so that, so that we can have confidence as we go about this work. That you would give us everything that we would need to be successful in this mission. And we believe that's what you do, God. You use ordinary works in progress to display your glory to a watching world. Help us to do that, Lord, as a church and as individuals. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.